Welcome to Navigating Neurodivergence with me, Stefan Glazer. If you don't know what this podcast and my whole mantra of Navigating Neurodivergence is about, really, at the base of it, it's about knowing that you are not alone in your struggles with neurodivergence. Whether it's ADHD, OCD, dyslexia, the full gamut of neurodiverse dilemmas. You are not alone in your struggles. You're not alone in your conquests and triumphs. That's what navigating neurodivergence is all about. This is a place where people get to express what they went through, how they made it through, and where they're going as they strive with their neurodivergence. So, please, enjoy your time here and listen to others that navigated their neurodivergence. Dr. Wendella Whitcomb-March. She is amazing. She's the CEO and founder of Adult Autism Assessment, and she, she dives deep into uh, the importance of late diagnosis and discovery of autism in adults. You know, she shares her personal journey, and we talk a lot about everything, really. Dr. Wendy is fantastic. So please be sure you go down into the show notes. I have a whole bunch of great links to all of her information, uh, including going to her website to buy her books, which is uh, WendellaWhitcombMarsh.com. Uh, she also has, she. there's so much out there, but that's the best place to go. And be sure to check out all of her information there. Check out all of her books. She has written a bunch of books and she is really driving them home the ability to help those with autism. So please enjoy this episode with Dr. Wendy. Before we get into today's episode, I have a few questions really quick. Do you want a free condensed copy of my book where you get free tools, three free tools. Do you want 33? Yes, more threes, 33% off all prints from my photography gallery for life. And do you want free updates weekly on everything that I do with the whole navigating neurodivergence empire that I have? Well, guess what? You can get all that in one place. Go to navigatingneurodivergence.org and it has links to everything. If you want to buy my book, if you want to find all my social media, find my photography, uh, sign up for the newsletter, everything. It has everything. It's all at navigatingneurodivergence.org. And now, let's get on with the show. And welcome to another episode of Navigating Neurodivergence. I have somebody that uh, I'm really excited to talk to today. Uh, I gave a little introduction about her, but uh, Dr. Wendy, I really love what you do. Um, and I, as I said in the introduction, you are the CEO founder of Adult Autism Assessment. Like that is a big one. Uh, late late diagnosis is prevalent in a lot of neurodivergence, especially as technology gets better and indicators are getting better. Uh, it's great to see the work that you're doing and how far and wide it's spreading. 
So, Dr. Wendy, how are you doing today? <laughs> I am doing great, Stefan, and thank you for having me. It's it's lovely to get to meet you in person. I've got your book, um, so it's nice to meet the author. <laughs> well, oh, <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, yeah, you know, I I have to say it it's strange because I wrote a book, and I know you wrote what, eight books now. Yeah, yeah. It's does it ever get does it ever like the magic ever fade after writing so many books of like, Hey, I wrote a book because I still am writing high on that. I love writing. Um, and I didn't start writing books or my business until after I retired in 2016. Um, <clears throat> I thought in retirement, I'll write a book and maybe I'll see a few private clients. Like maybe once a week, I'll see a client and, uh, the books just, you know, one kind of led to another, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> we've got a little uh, air quality problem today here. So my asthma, mm -hmm. uh, I apologize for my voice quality. If it's scratchy, I'm also old. That's quite all right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> anyway, I started writing books and um, seeing more and more clients. So many adults, as you know, are discovering that, you know, maybe they've been autistic all along and just didn't know it. Um, and uh, my own late husband was diagnosed as an adult as autistic. And we had no idea when we met and fell in love. Uh, it wasn't until of our three children, two of them were diagnosed with autism, mm. that he's looking at the criteria saying, this is me, this was me as a child, this is me now. <laughs> so we had a majority um, neurodivergent families, three autistic, two of us are um, in the neuro majority on the planet, but the minority in our family. And after David had his fatal heart attack back in 09, we were a half and half, you know, two on the spectrum, two uh, in the majority. Um, and I think it's helped us to be uh, sort of bilingual, those, those of us who are not autistic to, and I, I do want to say, no matter how much I have lived with it and written about it and seen clients and I hire autistic uh, clinicians in my practice. That's my, uh, I think it's important, uh, but I'm still not autistic myself and I don't want to put myself out there as knowing as much as someone who truly is neurodivergent. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I just, I really loved working with people and seeing that discovery as with my husband, when the light bulb went on and like looking at the whole past of your life in a different lens of, Oh, yeah. I wasn't stupid at social things. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> a bad friend. I was doing great for an autistic person, you know, and yeah. opening yeah. doors to understanding. Yeah. I, I honestly, think that uh, a diagnosis no matter when in life is is really important um, because not knowing that what you're doing and going through it is you know <laughs> I was you know I was there I was like uh, why am I like this why are things so hard to do the ways that people keep showing me how to do it. And I'm like, I, I don't get it. I don't understand this. Uh, why am I missing social cues? Why am I having all these issues? And then after the diagnosis and researching and learning, I was like, Oh, that's why this is why yeah. this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, I found it, I find it, um, always 
telling too is children are always great indicators. So when you have two that are diagnosed and then the light bulb goes off in your late husband's head, I mean, I had to have guessed like in the household, that was probably um, one of those enlightening moments. Yeah, it was about a year of enlightenment and adjustment, um, but a positive adjustment. Uh, and there's certainly, I, and for all the people that I've worked with too, and some of them have been in their 60s. Um, and as you said, it's never too late to get answers. Um, so it's a process of getting used to it. But for the most part, in our experience, it has been a positive process of you know, forgiving yourself for thinking that you were bad at things, forgiving teachers and parents who didn't know any better. Uh, mm. Back in the day, the diagnosis of autism, I say back in the day, <laughs> I forget when it was, but one of the early DSMs, the diagnosis of autism required that there also be a diagnosis of what they used to call mental retardation and now we call intellectual disability. So if somebody mm -hmm. was smart or even average intelligence, they could not have gotten the label autism. And even when that yeah. was changed in the, in the diagnostic manual, the idea has been prevalent. So that people think, oh, they're smart. They can't be autistic. When as of course we know that people can be very intelligent and also have autism and also have ADHD and, you know, yeah, it, yeah. It, the full gamut is, is, is pretty wide when it comes to, you know, neurodivergence, especially, you know, in people that have intelligence sure there, there are forms of autism and when you're higher levels where you're, you know, nonverbal and things that are really debilitating, that's only debilitating on a physical level. Then you find out that these people are also highly intelligent still. There's not this, 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 um, you know, mental disability. It's, it's actually just like, oh, they, they just can't communicate, but they also are hyper intelligent. It's like, hmm. Yeah, that, <laughs> that happens. And, and there are other people who do have intellectual disability and there's nothing wrong with that. It's one more yep. neurodivergence. Um, there's nothing wrong with a brain that learns more slowly than someone else's brain. You know, everybody's learning. Yeah. Um, and if somebody doesn't learn how to speak using words, there are a lot of different, uh, you know, technologies and things to, to support that person in still communicating. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, um, I love the tech, you know, all the technology that has been developed, especially the world we live in now, it makes makes life so much easier. Uh, obviously, here we are, um, you know, across the country, talking to each other. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it's like you're just sitting in, in front of me here on, on the screen. So yeah. it, it's, it's great. It's one of those things where even 30 years ago, I remember getting online for the first time in being amazed by text on my computer screen that I didn't put there, that somebody else in some other part of the world put there. And it's been such a, a paramount tool for me as uh, somebody who loves learning. I, it's, I've always enjoyed mm -hmm. that. And also for, for every person out there that was afraid to go outside, had problems um, 
going like going to a library can be intimidating if you know you have uh, like even a simple speech impediment or you're very self-conscious or you have high anxiety. So the fact that technology has opened up everything to people is, is fantastic. So I kind of want to like get into that in, in, um, in, in how you started, you started, like you said, after you retired, <laughs> what did, what did you do before you re uh, <clears throat> retired? Oh, um, well, for 20 years, I was a special ed teacher. Um, my first year teaching was the very first year that we were required to write IEPs, which just shows you how old I am. And we used to just, you know, put a piece <laughs> of paper into a, roll it into a typewriter and just write it on a blank piece of paper. There was no form. Um, <clears throat> so in the 20 years, we came a long way wow. in, in that. And then after 20 years in the classroom, I went back to school. I became a school psychologist, um, a licensed educational psychologist. Uh, I became a board certified behavior analyst, but by the end of that process, I knew that I never wanted to go that route. So I've never done ABA. I'm interested in the science of behavior because that's people. You know, we as people, we behave, that's peopling. But I would never yeah. want to use that science to try to make somebody be different than who they are. You know, um, and yeah. I saw in schools trying to <clears throat> teach autistic children how to look more like their peers. And I know the, the reasoning behind it was so they won't get teased. But the message was you're not OK the way you are. And that's not a message mm -hmm. that I want to continue. So I also uh, I should yeah. let you know that my my doctorate is a religious studies doctorate in pastoral counseling with a, a specialization in autistic, the autistic population. So after mm. I got all those, all my letters after my name, <laughs> I decided to take <laughs> early retirement. And you'd think after 40 years, it wouldn't be early retirement. But um, <clears throat> in the schools, uh, you can work much longer than I did. And I had colleagues who you know, stayed well into their 70s. Um, but I, uh, I left when I knew that um, I didn't want to keep doing those things, mm -hmm. uh, although my job was identifying, um, uh, uh, assessing the last like 10, 12 years of my career. All I did was evaluate toddlers. It was so much fun because uh, it's play. <laughs> it's what it is. Yeah. Um, play, observing, interviewing their parents and that kind of thing. Um, and that was uh, I loved doing that. But um, it was time for me to uh, to move. And so I left California and moved to Oregon um, with my three kids. Uh, all three of my kids are disabled. Two are autistic. The other one has some physical and health challenges. And uh, moved to Oregon thinking, I'll just write a book. I'll see a few clients. And then a few years later, the pandemic hit. And more and more people mm. were recognizing <clears throat> when they saw their reaction to the you know lockdown not that we were actually locked down but um but that need to shelter at home um so many people looked around them and saw people freaking out about it well they were loving it hating the reason yeah. for it but loving the fact of nobody expects me to go out to a party i don't have to socialize <laughs> at the bar with my colleagues afterward <laughs> i can just stay home and nobody will you know, give me grief over it. 
And uh, those people yeah, yeah. started, <laughs> yeah, they started researching. And apparently there are a lot of people on the TikTok and YouTube and uh, Facebook groups about autism. <clears throat> and they recognize mm -hmm. themselves, maybe watching a, a comedian like uh, Hannah Gadsby. And then she comes out as autistic and it's like, I was just like her. And maybe I am too. So many people were coming to me as a behavior analyst um, and with a background as a licensed educational psychologist, because that's where I learned to do the DSM diagnosis. I don't like to talk about diagnosis because they use such negative medical terms, you know? Yeah. But sometimes somebody needs that. <clears throat> and, um, the, the BCBA is an international thing. And the ethics of the BCBA um, allow me to do that because I've had the additional training, even though most BCBAs, most behavior analysts don't diagnose. So it allowed me to do that according to my um, ethics. However, not all the states uh, recognize that. So um, I, since it was all online, I could hire people in different states. And I started just a couple years ago hiring people and um, now uh, we have we have life coaching available for every state or actually anywhere in the world if we can get our timelines and languages aligned. Um, yeah. And the life coaches, yeah. That, yeah, the life coaches I hire are, it, you know, anybody can say they're a life coach. There's no requirements, but all the people that work for me have a master's degree and a background in psychology of some kind so that uh, they come to coaching um, with some knowledge. And so one of the important things is knowing when to say life coaching is not enough for you. You need a therapist, you know, you need a counselor and knowing what that line is, because we can't just keep giving coaching to somebody who might be suicidal. You know, it's not going to be helpful. Yeah. And no. counsel. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my, my people can, I've, most of the States, I have people who are licensed to do counseling and assessment. I've got like 11 states that all I can offer them is either a behavioral assessment that I can do, but it won't come with a diagnosis. It'll look like a diagnosis, mm. but it won't have that word in it. Uh, and, um, and of course, life coaching. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking to get all 50 states covered, you know, within the next year. Well, that's, that's awesome. Uh, because, it's a, it's a, a service that is imperative um, because a lot of local, you know, a lot of states don't have a, a local place where they can go or, you know, you even said for the assessment, assessment. I don't know how it is for, for autism because I, I obviously I went through and had my, my uh, ADHD uh, testing uh, would have been going on almost four years ago now. And, um, it was like the cruel irony of an ADHD test, especially for me with inattentive ADHD was the amount of questions and repetitive questions and odd, like, uh, auditory things that I had to do. And <laughs> it, it was, it was kind of like a joke. I'm like, well, you, you, you could probably, you don't even need the data from the test that I took. You, you could probably just tell that I was already someplace else while you were doing all this testing. <laughs> so, yeah. but how does, how does the assessment work with, for autism? Because I've always been, I've been kind of like interested in, in that. 
Yeah. Well, um, we, we, uh, I, I've used many, many different tests that are, you know, published and I've purchased them over the years. And most of the tests are designed for children and they just don't translate very well to adults of the mm. remaining ones. Many of them are normed on a population that is almost that is majority male population because of the belief that four out of five autistic people are male. So they skew the tests that way. So they skew the results that way. And women and girls are missed so often. Also, they're better at masking. You know, girls tend yeah. to be better at copying the other girls on the playground. And the way that they manifest the uh, the different, you know, what they would call symptoms um, looks different. So whereas maybe a boy is flapping their hands, maybe a girl is, you know, doing something that looks like, oh, she's dancing with her fingers. If a boy spins around, it's like, what's going on? A girl spins around, she's dancing. So one of the books I wrote is called Recognizing Autism in Women and Girls. Um, mm -hmm. And because there are so few tests that I felt confident in, and because I'm a writer and had, you know, decades as an assessor, um, an autism assessment specialist, I have written a series of questionnaires that are designed to get behind the mask and to be uh, neurodiversity affirming rather than, you know, failure to do this and abnormal that. It's just that there are different presentations. So my questionnaires align with the DSM-5 point by point, but they ask it in a different way. Um, right now, those are uh, proprietary just for my practice. Um, they're not published yet. I, someday I probably will publish them, but right now we're the only ones that use those. We also use um, a published test because we're not going to just do tests by one author. <laughs> I mean, mine are not are more questionnaires than tests, uh, but but we also use one of the um, published tests that I felt gave us good information. Um, and uh, we do the uh, autism assessment in three sessions. Well, first, before the three sessions, there's a free 30-minute consultation. We don't want anyone to agree to work with someone that they've never met and that they don't know if they have um, an affinity for that person, if they can feel comfortable with them. So there's a 30-minute free consultation to just decide if they want to go forward. Then in the three sessions, um, there are, uh, you know, questionnaires. The very first questionnaire is a screener. And if that screener says, this is probably not autism, we offer them the option to say, we're going to stop right now. And they will owe us no money. You know, we're not going to mm -hmm. have them pay for a half a session to say, ha ha, you are wrong. <laughs> That's just mean. <laughs> yeah, so, that is mean. So if they want to stop right then, they can stop. And if they want to go forward, we go forward. And um, by the third session, they will have had like, they will have had six questionnaires or tests that they've, you know, like two each time. And an answer by the end of that third session. Um, within a couple of days, they will have a written one page diagnostic letter or identification letter if it's from me. Um, saying, uh, yes, it's autism, basically because I said so. It's just one, one page. But a few weeks later, they will get an in-depth report that's going to be over 10 pages long and will explain why they meet that criteria. So that if somebody else says, oh, well, you don't look autistic to me, I don't believe that, and they read it, 
our hope is that they will understand how we came to that conclusion. Um, yeah, I, I actually, uh, I can't stress how important it is to, to know, like for people to know that there, there is that option out there and to start down the path and to be able to rule out autism also helps because yeah. if you go through and find out that, Hey, it's not, it's not autism. You know, it's, it's, yeah, <clears throat> it's, it's a, it's a game changer. Um, because it's, it's the same thing as getting a diagnosis. We're like, okay, well, that's not something that's wrong with me. I can, I can move forward and, and continue to work through, but mm -hmm. you know, uh, autism, you know, before we started, I, I was saying how a lot of people that have ADHD, um, they, autism almost comes hand in hand with a lot of them. Uh, yes. It's really interesting. Um, there's a, cause there's a lot of, you know, probably there's a lot of neural pathways that get crossed into the same thing. A lot of sensory issues, a lot of, mm -hmm. uh, communication issues. There's, there's a lot of things that can, but I, I know people that do, um, are, you know, do have issues on both ends with, you know, their working memory from their ADHD, but also from the autism side there, they have this keen ability to organize or to understand order. And, and it's, it's, it's like a fight inside their brain happening all the time about living in chaos, but, but having the order. And it's, um, it's really interesting to, okay to to see and I, i've i've actually been wondering myself just because i know i i have a lot of the you know the symptoms or markers or whatever you want to call them um yeah. for for autism and it um it's something my wife and i even talked about so it, it it's it's looking into all the possible options because when you know, you can then course correct to make your life easier. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I, I want to mention self-diagnosis because um, for some, some people are in a position where they can't afford to get a diagnosis. Um, and uh, I really respect self-diagnosis because nobody knows you better than you know yourself. And the Internet is full of information, you know. Anybody can find out what are the DSM criteria for autism and read what the criteria says and determine if that is them or not. Um, if somebody needs, if they really require a, a formal piece of paper for work or for school or for whatever legal reasons, then they should get a full diagnosis. Um, we one of our one of our life coaching courses is called self diagnosis without imposter syndrome. And uh, the coach won't diagnose the person, but they will be with them while they go through the self-diagnosis process of what does that feel like to you? Does that feel right or wrong? Um, I, I do want to say almost everybody who comes to us, it turns out that they are autistic. And that's not because we over-identify, in my opinion. It's because people self-select. By the time they come to us, they have done a ton of research. They've done a ton yeah. of self-reflection and almost all the time they are correct, you know, cause they're smart. They know themselves. Uh, uh, 
I think I've had a couple who were not autistic. One of them, she said, thank you. I will stop. I don't want to pay anything. It's like, okay, goodbye. The other one said, I actually want a full report saying that I'm not autistic. So let's just pay for the whole thing. And that's fine too. But mostly people know. That doesn't mean we're just going to rubber stamp it and say, oh, if you think you're autistic, we're going to make it so. We have to do our job. And our job (laughs) involves a lot of getting to know the person and, um, you know, analyzing their observed and reported behaviors with what the criteria are. And, uh, Mm. you know, that's, that's what we do. And that's, it's an amazing and valuable service because there's not, you would think there, there should be tons of people out there doing this and there's not, um, because I started, uh, looking up just, Oh, locally, I was like, Oh, who can I find here in the state of Georgia? And I started looking around and I was like, there really isn't many people. (laughs) And I live in a major Metro area. Like you would think that it would be more uh, available, more like, it's always like, Oh, they are, uh, they work in counseling for these things and they do this stuff. And then little tiny subtext says also do evaluations for, you know, neurodiverse, you know, diagnosis. And it's like, it's, I want somebody who understands it and knows, not just has it as a a afterthought on their, on their resume, basically. Yeah, I I get that. And I have had uh, clients come to us and say, I just got a full assessment. I played a, paid a ton of money. More than one person had this story. All of the test scores fell into the autism range, all of them. And yet the doctor said, but I'm not going to give you the diagnosis because A, you're married. B, you have a job. C, you made eye contact with me. You know, some combination of these. They don't ask, how hard was it to make eye contact? Do you have a system for eye contact? You know, if somebody has a system for look between the eyes or look at the eyes, count to three, look away, count to three and be counting in your head (laughs) while you're conversing. Yes. When I've told my clients, neurotypical people never think about eye contact. Literally zero attention on eye contact. But if you don't ask the person what is eye contact like for you? Not just, I notice you seem to be looking at my eyes, but how hard <laughs> is it? You know, when somebody has learned to mask really, really well, that can get in the way of them being identified because they're so good at masking and it has, they might not even know how to stop, you know? Yeah. 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 Masking, masking is a real problem in, in the neurodivergent community because we've had to. We, that's yeah. how we function in society. Yeah. It's, it's, and to be able to kind of, for me, it's been like the last year of my life is learning to not have to mask. Um, yeah. And being okay and understanding, like, hey, I can't be in this situation because there's too, you know, too much noise going on or there's too many people talking because trying to focus on one conversation with ADHD is hard enough, but if there's too many conversations, I, I hear them all. So uh-huh. I, it just all becomes equal volume, no, equal importance, right? 
Yep, exactly. So I, it, to be able to say, Hey, I, I, if you want to talk to me, let's, we'll just step outside. Let's go outside this room because I can't in here. I can't to be able to do that and not have any reaction as I used to, because I used to be afraid to even mention, like, I'm feeling overwhelmed to a stranger. Um, but now it's, like I said, it took a lot of therapy and and practice, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, understanding that, Hey, it's okay to do this. Uh, and also more and more I I'm seeing society is starting to understand that it's a, larger thing than they thought it was because I know growing up, uh, obviously with ADHD, people are like, Oh, well the kids got to be bouncing around off the walls and not doing, and I was like, that wasn't me. I wasn't yeah. hyperactive. Um, or the same thing with autism. Instantly there was this parallel that if you were autistic, you had down syndrome. That was, that was the only com- comparison that everyone yeah. had. Mm-hmm. back in the 80s and early 90s like i remember that clearly and i, I was i was like that can't be right either yeah. and nowadays I, I get into situations where i end up <laughs> finding out that more and more people are neurodivergent uh whether they know they are or not but i am starting to see it and as i get to uh, speaking with people and going to places and talking to a lot of the general public, um, the uh, the consensus is, hey, yeah, this is okay. Um, it's not a disability. I just process things a little different. And once you understand that, we can like meet in the middle. It, it's it's um it's a lot easier to do that nowadays. It, it feels like, and, and that's just recently, I feel like in the past, yeah. like three or four years, it's really started to mm-hmm. become a little more like, okay, there's less stigma involved with it. And like, we, mm-hmm. we can get to a place where there is like a common ground and you're able to talk to people about it, but masking yes. is, oof, that's a tough one. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, uh, it's problematic. What I hear is it's exhausting. Um, and yes. people are just, you know, they go to work and they are masking all day. And then they've got no time because they're so exhausted, they might shut down. So where's the time for themselves, for their family, um, for, you know, pursuing their hobbies? If they have no strength left um, to do any of that because they had to mask so hard for eight hours at work. So many people... Um, yeah. that I've met since the pandemic, uh, their major thing, one of their major reasons to get a formal diagnosis, even though they know themselves to be autistic, is they want to continue to work from home. They worked from home successfully all through the pandemic. They were, it was so much yeah. better, you know, their output as well as their life balance when they worked from home. But some of them, their jobs are saying, oh, now everybody has to come back. And I don't think everybody has to come back personally. <laughs> no, I, I kind of wish, you know, I was in that, uh, in that boat where I was still working in corporate. Um, I was, my last corporate job was, I was a, uh, 
I worked in radio and I was a content, uh, uh, my official title was regional content director. So I just made online content for all the radio stations and, nice. you know, did stuff and blogging and all, all this fun stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I worked remotely a lot because I worked for a multitude of stations. There was 50 something stations throughout New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. So I didn't really have to be in the office. <laughs> so I would love when I got to work remotely and it was fantastic yeah. because I didn't have to worry about getting interrupted because if there's one thing I know with ADHD is if I am distracted in the middle of a task, that task is probably not going to get done. That's just been how my life has been. Uh, I've gotten yeah. better at managing that as I've gotten older and I got my diagnosis and understand that, hey, why can't I restart that task or what happened to that task? But I would find my productivity would go through the roof when I work from home. And then with the pandemic, I remember talking to my therapist and my therapist said, it's kind of refreshing because everyone I talk to is really depressed and not doing well. But every time I talk to you every week, you're thriving, you're doing new things, you're learning, you're doing all this great stuff. I was like, cause I don't have to, I don't have to go out and do things with people and fake who I am because that's exactly what was happening. Like masking, you said it correctly. It is tiring. Um, people would always ask me, um, well, how did, how did you get through going to like a convention or if I had an event to go to as a photographer or did something where there was a lot of people, I was like, Hey, I would get through it. I love connecting with people. Like I can connect with uh, people on a one-on-one -on -one basis. I can connect to multiple people. But the big thing is my problem is um, when I'm dealing with all that, there's a lot of people moving around, a lot of stuff happening. So I end up, draining myself to the point where I look like I'm normal. But as soon as I get home, I'm like, okay, I, I can't, I can't do anything. I have photos to edit. I can't do that. I can't, I'm going to go to sleep for maybe 10 hours or five or seven. I'm just not going to do anything because my body yes. would just give up. And that's what happened. It always yeah. happened. You have with, to listen to masking. your body. Yeah. yeah. Listen to what you need. And I, when I, yeah. I tell people that, you know, sometimes you, you need to go to a social event that you know you're going to hate because somebody you care about is getting married or graduating. Sometimes you need to do that. But the way to do it mm -hmm. is to first have a plan A and a plan B for, you know, what's going to be the easiest way for you to get through it. And then if you have to leave, what's your escape strategy <laughs> so that you can yeah. quietly make your escape and then always <laughs> always planned recovery time that might mean blocking up to three days off on the calendar it depends on the person you know what they need but then just say no appointments during this time i'm only going to be responsible for eating <laughs> and maybe yeah. it's just one day for one day of going to a wedding maybe it's just one day of you know staying home and doing nothing at all but for some people it's twice as much uh it really is yeah. personal 
but it needs to be respected and put on the calendar so that um, now for my own kids, I, I do transportation for their um, uh, doctors and dentists and physical therapy and all that kind of thing. And for my autistic kids, I do um, the phoning to make their appointments. And um, we there's like a calendar shuffle of, oh no, you know, you've got a, you've got a phone appointment with your counselor, but it's the same day that you, uh, one of my kids lives in a, a disabled um, adults housing, like a village. It's a little condo, not not a condo, cottages, like little quadplexes mm, that yeah. are affordable if you have a disability or poverty, whatever it is. So um, mm -hmm. my youngest has uh, moved out, but when they have the regular inspections, that's very, very stressful for her. So um, one of my jobs today is to reschedule a counseling appointment because it cannot be within two days of this other thing. Everything has to mm -hmm. be spread out. And as long as it is spread out, it's doable. But when yeah. things happen close together, you know, it's just going to be bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm... I'm definitely of that wheelhouse where I, I live by my to-do lists and my, my notes and everything. And, but my calendar is so important because yeah. if I see that, if I look at my phone, I go, okay, I know today I have a podcast at 12 PM Eastern and then nothing else for the rest of the day. Cause I know, even though I love doing this, it does take energy and it takes a, a yeah. lot of thought. So I know after this, like I got all my stuff done in the morning, it will culminate into this. We have this beautiful conversation. And after we're done, I'm going to put on some soothing music. I'm going to turn off all these lights that I have on and I'm going to relax and, and oh. recharge because nice. I know if I don't do that, anything I try to attempt to do will end up not working. <laughs> yes, I get that. <laughs> um, I, I do want to put in a plug for your book, your oh. strategies. Um, mm. what, I think I have it right here. Okay. The strategies in, in your book are great because they're so personally lived. Um, and also, I love the fact that you paid attention to the spacing and the font <laughs> Yes, specifically for people who visually, you know, maybe they've got dyslexia and you don't see that very often in books, but I noticed that and good for you. Yeah. Th thank you. Yeah. That was something that I know I have friends that have dyslexia. Some of them, some of it is severe and they say, you know, when I read a book, cause they love reading, that's like the cruelest irony. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what, what I have to do is I'm sitting here with a big index card, a white blank index card going line by line by line. I was like, what would it, what would be better for you? Like if there was this like double spacing. Yes. And I said, hmm. So I tried myself because I realized I do it on my Kindle. Uh, every book I have on Kindle, I set the spacing to double and all of a sudden I can read and comprehend better because I'm not overwhelmed by words. <laughs> and I said, wow, there's, there's something to this. And I said, I don't care if it adds to the cost of the book. I, I want yeah. to do this. Like I have to do this because this is meant for people that are neurodivergent. This is right. These are your people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so like, let's make it as easy as it, as I can to, 
for people to look at and, and read and, and some, I, I laugh, my wife is, is neurotypical and she's like, I am having problems reading this. I was like, well, you, you're a speed reader. You're, she, so, so she's trying to read it and it, there's too much spacing and she's like, I can't, it's taking, I was like, just read it on Kindle then because yeah. you can make it tiny and take it in big chunks. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I honestly, I had to do it in any other future books. Cause I'm working on more in that series uh, of tools that I am going to do that for all my print books. I, I don't see any other way to do it because every single person that yes. has picked up a copy of a physical book and saw that they're like, yeah, thank you. That was the, um, one and of the first thing they said. When people like, self-publish, you. you have more much books more need control to be printed like this. over the book that how you want it to look in those ways. We don't all have have that much control. Um, I, I just I just want to share. Yeah. I just recently got a go ahead for another new book in the series yeah. I'm I'm writing. Um, the series is called Adulting While Autistic, and I'm currently rewriting the first book. Uh, it they had put it out as Independent Living with Autism. Mm. Um, I wanted to call it Independent Living for Autistic Adults. They wanted to call it independent living for adults with autism. I said, the my people who I want to buy the book won't buy the book because that's not neurodiversity affirming. So we kind of compromise on the middle. But it's still some people look at that and think, oh, well, that's, you know, I'm not yeah. with autism, I'm autistic. So it was time to rewrite it and update it at, as the first book in the adulting while autistic series. Yeah. I've written dating while autistic relating while autistic for couples parenting while autistic comes out December 5th. That's going to hit the shelves December 5th. Um, because there are books for, um, parents mm. who have autistic children, but there were no books for autistic parents. And clearly there are autistic parents. My late husband was yeah. a great parent. Um, so then I'm rewriting the first one and we will call it independent living while autistic, which is I think more accurate. Um, and you know, I took out what I thought was the most boring character and put in a character that I had introduced in the other books yeah. to give her backstory. Um, and while I was doing this, uh, one of my readers said, there's so much, there's this huge section about working. What if you made that smaller, took out most of the work, most of the, that content and had a whole book on working while autistic. And, uh, just this week, the publisher said, yes go for it. So it's like, okay, I will go for it. <laughs> because Hey, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, see, that that's, that's really awesome. Uh, that's kind uh -huh. of an experience I want to, I want to have that experience just in the future. Because I know what I want to do with writing, and where I want to go with uh -huh. my experiences and trying all these things and figuring out what works for me and what doesn't. Uh -huh. Um, cause I've been in the process of writing a book proposal and the book proposal is actually three book proposals. <laughs> and I was like, how am I going to do this and, and put it out there? And I said, well, say I do submit this to all these publishers and they all yeah. say, no, then I just write the books anyway and publish them yes. myself that's it is. i love that we have that option now 
and yeah. it's there's, there's no stigma a, a real option it is it's a not big just like thing, oh yeah you put out your book i don't buddy. have yeah, the I knowledge it, but... of how to do the thing i've got a niece and a nephew yeah. who self-published their own books and they know how to do this and they're great um i don't know how but when i found my publisher uh part of it is uh, looking you know finding your niche um there were three publishers that do almost entirely mm. books about autism one of them was my favorite because as a book buyer i would always buy their books if i went to a, a conference you know like school psychologist conference i would find their table at all the tables that uh, they're called future horizons uh, publishers and i would always go and buy all their books so naturally when I wanted to write a book, I went to them first. <laughs> and, uh, and I was very um, fortunate that I got a couple of yeses from a couple of publishers, and they were my favorite. So I'm with uh, Future Horizons at this time. And I would say find your niche, find the publisher that is publishing your books. And, um, and, right. you know, go with them. I'm sure you're already aware there are books like I used one by um, Elizabeth Lyon called yeah, nonfiction book proposals. Anyone can write. That was very helpful to me. And yeah, I, I, start, I started diving down because that's with the hyper fixation with ADHD is always fun for me because one of the things that always gets the dopamine flowing is learning about new stuff. I got, really lucky if that's how it was wired and I fed into it my entire life without knowing. So when I get to learn something new, like yeah. the, the process of writing a book proposal and how to submit it and yeah. like who to talk to and, and find it, I, I was like, Oh, I get you know, to learn something books, new. Like let's the go. Elizabeth let's, Land let's book do this. <laughs> that will tell you how to do a book proposal. But then if you go to the publisher that you like best and look at their guidelines, um, morph it into their guidelines, include everything that's supposed to be in there, but do it in the order that they are looking for so that they know, yes, he read my guidelines. He knows who he's pitching to. This is not the same, uh, you know, because you, you shouldn't do the same proposal for everybody you send it to. You should tailor make it to them to show that, that you know who they are and you believe that you are the right writer for them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's, I think that's important okay. for because I know I have a lot of listeners that yeah. have been thinking of writing books, um, because they, mm -hmm. that's how they found me. They went through the book and they said, Oh, Good. you have a podcast. And then they were like, I've been looking to write a book about either their story, their, their life story, how they did it, or the thing that they, uh, do, uh, what, a, whether it's a business or they have a practice or, or some sort of thing in the house. I was like, you have to, yes. you know, find yes. your first, you find your, the, the finding your niche is, is so important. I always tell that to people because people are like, well, what about you? You're a photographer. I was like, yes, I am a photographer first, but I'm not a oh, wedding what? photographer. Yeah. I'm not a portrait photographer. I'm a pet photographer. Like pet photography is that's that's the niche I fell into and I do pet yes. photography and then landscape long exposure photography those are my things I sell prints on one side and I sell the service on the other side it's it's and then writing became a 
a passion that I've always had. I've always loved creative writing. So I never thought of writing a book. That's how, you know, when my coach told me that like, Hey, you yes. can turn all this stuff that you kind of just like dumped into a That's word right. doc into a book yeah. because you have a perspective strategies. that other people don't because this is your life. <laughs> I was like, okay. So when you, yeah, when you find your niche though, like, talking about neurodivergence and writing yes. about it. That's a niche for me. How, how did I find that niche? Because I live it. I wouldn't have known, I wouldn't have known three, four years ago that that would have been my niche. I only learned because I drilled down. Um, it's you, you, once you find those things, it's, it's hard to let them go too. Like I, I'm always like tickled about it. Like when I, released the book and I was like, all right, it's out there. I was like, and I look yeah, back at I, all my notes and I'm like, know, I, I love writing. It's like seven and days a week. I have a lot I, of work I, to do. This is the roll top desk that started. I inherited from my mother <laughs> as before I write my books. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, when I get my first cup of coffee in the morning, I sit down, open up the computer and this is well, what I love to do. Yeah, I, for me, I always, um, I when I get that feeling, and it doesn't matter what time it is, yeah. because for me, sometimes it would be like, oh, it's getting ready for bed, and it'll be like 8 o'clock, and I'm winding down, then my brain goes, hey, guess what? I'm like, okay, okay, let's go. And then I will, if I have my, my laptop, or if I have, if I come down here into my office, I, I have a ritual around my writing and it's, you know, I, I'll sit down and I put on a nonverbal music playlist where it's very calm, like almost serene music. And I have a plug-in for my computer that turns everything black and I it looks this. like an old monitor basically where I can either do white or uh, white text or just like a the light green text of old monitors from you know forever ago mm -hmm. and and i i just type away and there's something very it, yes. one it doesn't allow me to get distracted um from like links or desktop icons or anything uh but two it it's just me and the words at that point and that's that's where I do most of my writing and it feels good. But when it comes up, I, uh, when I get into writing mode, when I'm like, okay, I got to get the draft done, then yeah, it's a daily practice and I make it a daily practice. But your muse, if I have yes. a creative thing that comes up for me, it, 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 like, I do have to like stop what I'm doing. I'm like, hold on, got an idea. I have to go, uh, follow it. <laughs> So I, I always kind of ask this um, with, with all my guests. I always say, you know, you, you've gone through this transformation to creating this wonderful uh, practice. And 
you have you you already have a, I, I love that a, a target ahead of you. Um, but further down the road, where my are you is, going uh, with your practice? Have someone and, licensed and in every single state. In everything that you that do. doesn't mean fifty employees. You know, I've got one employee who is he's licensed in twenty six states, and others who have multiple states. So I want to get every state covered. Um, so that we'll have someone who is licensed and can give a clinical diagnosis of either autism or ADHD or both. My next step is um, I, I want to buy a little piece of land and put up mm -hmm. um, housing so that, um, you know, my, my, my selfish, my, my selfish reason is so that my three kids and maybe me, I mean, right now I'm living in this house, but that we would all be like neighbors, but not in the same house. <laughs> Um, but to have like a little community and um, then maybe expand to have other housing that would be specific for disabled people, maybe neurodivergent people, um, mm. because it, it can be hard for um, autistic people, especially to maintain employment. Um, I mean, the, the numbers of unemployed and underemployed, but very intelligent neurodivergent people are kind of shocking. So if I could provide affordable yeah. housing and you know, there's a lot I need to learn about that. I don't know a lot about it yet, but I know that that's what I want to do. I want to get some little cottages and have a place, not just for my own children, but first for my children, cause they're my children, <laughs> but, but also to open that up to other people who have similar needs. So that's my long-term goal. <laughs> mm. That's well, that's a beautiful goal uh, because that's, it goes along the lines that I always say it's, it's helping, it's helping others in ways that you might not see up front you might not see in the first year, but when you have that type of coverage where first, you know, having uh, somebody licensed in every state is going to be, it's, it's paramount to giving everyone access to yeah. getting diagnosed and getting that actual clinical result of, of finding out about uh, if they have autism, because that is, that's a big one. And, I love the idea of a little community like that. It's, it's something that I know my wife and I have talked about, you know, we have this house right outside the Atlanta Metro area and uh, we love it and it's great, but we talk to our friends all the time. We're like, why can't we just have like a place up in the mountains or away from the big cities and just, have our like little farm we have our little houses and we all just do our things because we all have things that we do really well we're Community. all artists we're all oh, writers musicians yeah. and like let's both do it that should be let's both do this what i'll we be do. doing it in and oregon you'll be doing it down there can grow you know and have we're a great across time. the country but and i was like hmm. we're doing the same thing so i i'm Good really with you on that <laughs> <laughs> yes Yeah. 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 <laughs>
That's right. Well, before we do go, where can uh, I know everything's going to be in the in the, the show notes and all that sure. fun stuff. I've got two websites in the introduction. My author website is where um, can people find you all online word, and get a hold of you, see my name. where your business lies. I know people call me Wendy. All that fun stuff. Uh, but my parents made up Wendela so that uh, when I was a grown up, I would have a grown up name to fall back on. They could call me Wendy for short. So, so that's my author. That's my professional name, Wendell of Whitcomb Marsh. Um, and then my business site is adultautismassessment.com. They're both .com. <laughs> and it's, again, all one word. I was astonished that nobody else had that Earl. You know, I thought, well, what, I, what do I do? I do adult autism assessment. And it's like, I can have that. So I got it. And if you wanted to uh, to email me, uh, yeah. um, I, you could email me at, well, there's, of course, there's a con, uh, contact place on the website. But if you wanted perfect. to email me directly, <laughs> it would be Dr. Wendy, D-R-W-E-N-D-Y at adultautismassessment.com. And tell me how you met me, that we met through Stefan here, so that I'll know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that... Well, you you heard it right from her, guys. Uh, just reach out and be like, "Hey, I heard about you through Stefan on the podcast." Answer and questions. I know. And, I'll, I'll, I have a feeling a few of them are, are going to end up reaching out eventually to to start down this road of getting assessed because it, it's it's been yes. yeah yeah it's 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 been a ride for a lot of people and they're becoming more and more educated on what's going on so but i i can't thank you enough for coming on and and talking about all this today and and how important it is because my mantra and it is a constant yes. for everything is is oh, letting everyone know that they're not alone in wonderful. this like there I'm are people out there to help. There are people going through it. There, there's so much. So I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Bye-bye. Yes, yes. And once again, everyone, like I said before, you are not alone. And I will see you in the next episode. <laughs>